The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Miss Amber, take your Bibles with me tonight. Let's go to Revelation chapter number 11, please. Revelation 11, and of course, we've been studying through the book of Revelation here on Wednesday nights, and uh, we're continuing on here this evening through uh, chapter number 11, as we were last week. And we'll recap some, of course, and I won't put you to the test as, uh, as heavily tonight as we have in the last few weeks, because I know that you've gotten it, uh, but we will come back and uh, reiterate that outline of Revelation, though, and as we saw there in chapter 1 and verse number 19, uh, Jesus said to John, here's what I want you to write about, and here's how I want you to lay it out. I want you to write about the things that you saw, and uh, we, of course, uh, realize those things are found in chapter 1, and uh, those are all the things that we study through and read as we go through chapter 1. Then he said the second part of the outline is to write about the things that are. And uh, so at that very moment, right around 95 AD or so, uh, Paul's on the Isle of Patmos, but he's writing seven individual letters to seven individual churches that have individuals that attend those churches, and they're, they're real people, and uh, they're in literal and real locations, of course, as well. The things that Paul, I'm sorry, John is writing about uh, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to these churches are happening then, uh, and they are taking place at that point, and so they are are uh, in the present tense in John's day, of course, uh, but we also understand that those, each and every one of those letters have a prophetic aspect for the entirety of what we call the church age, and that's the time uh, from the beginning of the church there with Jesus Christ calling his disciples, and uh, there in the Acts chapter 2, of course, with the uh, uh, Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and uh, the church of Jerusalem, and then uh, churches after that, like church of Antioch, and Ephesus, and so on and so forth as we go along. Uh, so we find that uh, they were present and, and uh, present tense at that point because they were then at that point, but it's also are even still as we are today uh, because the church is still around. And so that's covered in chapters two and three. And then chapter four through the rest of the book is the things that are after these things. And chapter four, verse one opens up with after this. And uh, we find that transition going into that. And these are things after what we would call the rapture has taken place, uh, that uh, resurrection if you may, is another word you could use for it, a calling, a catching away. Um, but uh, that's where we're at right now. These events, even in chapter 11, are a part of this third point of the outline, the things that are after these things. Of course, uh, thus far, We've uh, really looked at the first half of tribulation, uh, about three and a half years worth of time, and we've seen a couple of different judgments start to unfold. The first being the seven-sealed judgment, and uh, that's where Jesus, of course, comes to God the Father who's on the throne and takes that scroll or the book from him, and he begins to break open a, uh, a seal one at a time. And with every seal that is broke open, an event uh, of some sort takes place on earth. And, and then, of course, uh, the the seventh seal 
as it's open, brings the seven trumpet judgments, and they're, they're kind of stacked one within, within another. And uh, so we've gone through those trumpet judgments as well. And so here's another uh, graphic to help us to see that as we go through. Six seals are broken. The seventh one broken brings forth the trumpet judgments. As the uh, trumpet, trumpet judgments go along, when we get to the fifth one, it gives a, it, it kind of even ramps up even more, revs up even more. And it has also along with it, not only the fifth, sixth, and seventh trumpet judgment, but also the name of the woe judgments as well. And so uh, we've looked at those. And then, of course, finally, that seventh trumpet that we will get here to tonight is going to blow and it's going to open up uh, and bring forth the seven bowl or vile judgments as well. And so uh, with those woe judgments, we found that the first woe judgment uh, brought forth these uh, swarms of like locusts with, uh, with the tails that stung like a scorpion, and they would uh, torment mankind for those months, and they would long to die but would not be able to, and what a horrible impact that would be on mankind, and you see kind of an artist's depic- depiction of what that might be, and of course we got a local artist's depiction of the next one, as we showed last week, and uh, that's for Brother Brandon's uh, drawing for us, but the second woe there, or the sixth uh, trumpet, brought forth uh, that 200 million man army, and they had horses, if you may, that had the face of a lion and the tail of a serpent. Now their mouth came fire, and I mean, that's, that's top-notch drawing right there. And uh, so uh, we've got that depiction there to help us see what's going on. But then last week, in the last few weeks, we've come into what we call, we're calling the time of mid-tribulation. Now, if you look at the picture here, you kind of get the idea. It overlaps on the both sides, right? You've got it closing out the first half and opening up the second half. And so when we talk about mid-tribulation, we understand it's not just like a snap of the fingers. It's a uh, it's a situation that is unfolding and that kind of bridges over. For instance, as you leave tonight, we won't take the time for everyone to get up and go look right now, but as you leave tonight, you might notice the transition piece that separates the auditorium to the lobby area as you walk across it. This metal piece right here, it's got a couple of screws in it, and uh, part of it's here in this auditorium, part of it's outside in the lobby. So on whatever side you are on, when you hit that transition, it's on one part of it, but it carries you over to another. And that's what this mid-tribulation is doing. And I'm just trying to think of any way to to kind of get you to understand how I'm trying to say this, of course. But we've come to this middle point of tribulation, the middle point of uh, Daniel's 70th uh, sevens. And uh, we, this middle point of seven years, three and a half years have come to a pass or are coming to pass and we're transitioning over to the last three and a half years as well. And a couple weeks ago, we studied chapter 10. And as you see here on the graphic, uh, chapter 10 is kind of like the introduction uh, to all of this. While it's setting the stage and the uh, preliminary aspects of all that is going to take place, we found that John is given this little book, right? He gets it from this 
mighty angel, and he has this little book in his hand, and we read in Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 7, and I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, uh, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times and a half, and that's one one of those references that reference three and a half years, or half of tribulation, and it says, and when he shall have accomplished this, uh, accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And so we find that the events or what the, the contents of that little book that Daniel jotted down and asked about what the information should be and mean, and he's told it's not for him to know yet, but it'll be put away for a little bit of time. And then this little book that John gets is the same one that Daniel wrote about, and it's holding, it's referencing the events of the last three and a half years of tribulation. Because the angel did say that as all of this is done, after that those three and a half years, or time, times, and half, that uh, it will, it said in Daniel chapter 12, chapter 12, verse number seven, all these things shall be finished. And so what Daniel was receiving and writing down was the events of the last three and a half years of tribulation. What John receives in chapter 10 from this mighty angel is this event, and he takes, tastes it. It's sweet to his mouth at first, but then makes his stomach bitter. Uh, it kind of churns his stomach because the realization of all is going to take place. And, and uh, he says, hey, you're not going to say anything about it quite yet. And that's why we read chapter 11, 12, 13, 14, deals with the events that will carry us into that. But he says he will finally prophesy to all many nations and such. And so he would begin to reveal all those things that took place. And so as we've been discussing already, the first half of tribulation holds the seven seals judgments. It holds the first six of the trumpet judgments. And then these events at the midpoint They are all sandwiched or stacked on top of each other. So chapter 11, 12, 13, and 14, while it comes in a chronological order in the Bible, we have to understand that they're all happening simultaneously or at the same time uh, frame while they're taking place. And so as we read through, that carries us into where the, I'm sorry, the uh, uh, seventh trumpet will blow, and that will bring us to the seven bowls or vile judgments for the end of the, the th- last three and a half years. And so last week, we looked at the uh, two prophets that would stand and prophesy as we got into the first part of chapter 11. And uh, John is given a rod at the beginning of it, we see uh, in the first few verses. And it says that he would measure the court and all that is going to be taking place there. But he doesn't give us any information as to uh, what he measures because that's not important. What's important is the fact that there's a temple. And so we know we can start putting that into a time frame because right now there's not a temple. But the, the beginning of tribulation will be signified, as we've already discussed, by the treaty that the Antichrist makes with the leaders of Israel to reinstitute temple worship and sacrifice again. So we know that we're in the midst of tribulation of some, at some point because the temple is around. Then we also look and read in the latter part of verse number 2 of chapter 11. It says that it will be treaded underfoot for 40 and 2 months. Well, there's one of our uh, indicators that we're at that midpoint because each and every one of these chapters, 11, 12, 13, and 14, are going to have one of those references signifying that we're transitioning over from the first half to the second half. And we saw that there. 
But then we saw with these uh, witnesses as well as we go on, it says uh, in verse number three that these two witnesses, they'll testify for a thousand two hundred and three score days. There's another one of those as well. And so we see these events are all happening simultaneously and coming together. And so we're going to discuss some more of that here tonight even. But just to help us kind of get back on track, here's another graphic of what we've already seen. This, this kind of summarizes everything up to this point where we are at tonight. We've seen the seven sealed judgments, the first four, the, the four uh, horsemen, uh, the uh, fifth judgment, which spans from the beginning all the way through tri uh, tribulation, the martyrs there underneath the altar, the sixth one those opens and the supernatural calamities take place, and then the trumpet judgments come with the seventh judgment. Uh, um, seal broken open, of course, and all of the events that took place there, and the uh, 144,000 Jews, and the two witnesses, and that's all in this first half of tribulation up into this midpoint, and as you see there, time, time, half time, three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days are all references to that that we're going to see along the way. But here tonight, let's read in Revelation 11, beginning in verse number seven, and read down through the end of the chapter here tonight before we jump into new things here this evening. In verse number 11, it says, and after three days and a half, uh, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet. Uh, I'm so, I was in 11, I'm sorry. Revelation 11, verse number seven. I was in 11, 11, I'm sorry. <laughs> 11, verse number 7, and when they shall have finished their testimonies, there we go, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, uh, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people of, and kindred and tongue and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in a grave. And graves, and they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry, and shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half, the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And uh, they ascended up to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. And the same hour were and the same hour was there a great earthquake, uh, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were sw slain of men seven thousand, and the raiment were, were for affrighted, and uh, gave glory to God of heaven. And the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe is cometh. The third woe cometh quickly. The seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of this world uh, are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and whatst and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is come, and the time of the dead, that they should be judged, and that thou shouldest give reward to thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and to them that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroyed the earth. And uh, the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in his temple the ark of the testament, and uh, there were lightnings, and voices, and thunderings, and an earthquake, and great hail. Our Father, we do thank you tonight for the opportunity to be here. We ask that you'd bless us uh, as we study your word tonight together, and uh, that your spirit 
Spirit would guide us, giving the words to speak as I deliver the word here this evening. And Lord, help us to honor and glorify you through it all. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we jump into these verses here in, in chapter 11 and picking up in verse number 7, I want you to notice here some persecution in this scene. As we look at verses 7 and 10, we won't re- read those verses for the sake of time here tonight. But John says that these two these two uh, witnesses, they've uh, been testifying, and I believe that this testifying has been in the first three and a half years, which we'll discuss more here in just a little bit. Uh, but after they have been testifying these three and a half years, uh, up until this point, they hadn't been able to uh, have any pain or, or conflict or any attacks come against them. We read that last week in the verses preceding this. But after three and a half years, the Lord allows them to be killed. And in verse number seven, notice this is when they, sh- uh, they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And so it says that this beast comes out of the bottomless pit. We know what that pit is because we've already studied it back in chapter nine. And that's the place where uh, Jesus has, uh, has uh, sent the uh, rebellious an- uh, of the an- angelic realm there, those demons there. And and uh, this beast comes out of that pit, and he it, it makes war with these uh, two witnesses. And it's uh, clearly this beast is connected with the demonic realm. And the term uh, beast reminds us even of the mentioning of the beast in Daniel chapter number 7, as we've studied there as well. Up to this point, this is all we know about the beast, that it's where he came from, the bottomless pit, and that he attacks these uh, two witnesses and that he overcomes them. And that's all we know about the beast up to this point, but here in these next few chapters, we'll learn a whole lot more about him as we move along. But these men are killed, their bodies are left there in the street uh, and will remain visible there in the great city, it says, for uh, three and a half days. Notice verse number uh, eight with me now. It says, and their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of, that, of the great city. And it goes on at the end of the verse to say that the city is where also our Lord was crucified. So while the Bible doesn't give us the name of the city in that verse, we can already pinpoint uh, what that city is, because where was Jesus crucified? In Jerusalem. And so, of course, this is where that's speaking of. But notice that uh, the Bible also says in verse number eight that spiritually, They are known at this point as Sodom and Egypt. Now, in a spiritual sense, they're known as Sodom, and Sodom was was a city known for its great depravity, while Egypt was the nation that uh, first introduced idolatry uh, to the Jewish people. So John says that in in this day, when the two witnesses are going to lose their lives and remain lifeless, laying in the streets of this city for three and a half days, that Jerusalem is in such a place that it is not the holy city that it's been known for. It has really seen a decline in what has taken place. And consider what has happened thus far, all right? The beginning of tribulation opened up and is signified by a covenant that is made by the Antichrist and the leaders of the Jewish people to reinstitute temple worship and sacrifices in the city again. So at the beginning of tribulation, it seems as if the city is coming back to its heyday, if you may, in in a spiritual sense. But within three and a half years, it has seen a spiritual decline that God likens it to that of the city of Sodom 
or the nation of Egypt. And so it's not that holy city that God intended it to be. On the contrary, by the time that the midpoint of tribulation takes place, Jerusalem has become a place of depravity and idolatry. And as we will learn later, the beast is connected to all of these things as to why that happens. But notice here with me in these verses here, verses 7 through 10 or so, that we find that they, these men die, the two witnesses die, their bodies are left there uh, in the streets, unburied for three and a half days, and during this time of their dead, lifeless bodies laying in the streets, the world is celebrating their death like the world has never seen any celebration before. We find that the world turns the occasion of their death into a cause of celebration to the likes of even Christmas. Because look what the Bible says here in verse number, uh, verse number uh, 9. And they of the people and the kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. So they don't bury them. They just leave them there. And everybody can see it taking place. And notice verse number 10. And they that dwell upon the earth, that's everyone that's still alive at that point, re shall rejoice over them, and they make merry, and they shall send gifts one to another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. So, I mean, you think Mardi Gras is a big deal. This is a big deal. Christmas in some people's homes is a big deal. This is an even bigger deal. And you think of the greatest, grandest celebration that you could think of uh, that this world has ever known, and this is even greater than that because they are just jumping for joy over the fact that these two men have been put to death. And, uh, but why is that? Because we remember that, as we studied last week, they blame these two men for everything that has taken place already on the, in this tribulation time. The, think of the, uh, the first woe judgment, that, uh, that fifth trumpet judgment, where the uh, locusts come and they sting men for, you know, and they can't die. Man, they blame these two witnesses for that. The, the great horses with the face of the lion and the serpent tail. Thanks, Brother Brandon, for helping me see what it looked look like. They, like it, they, they blame. They blame these two men for that. And now they're dead, and they are thinking it's all over. Thing, the, the, everything's going to turn a corner. Everything's going to start looking up now. And uh, no wonder they were trying so hard to kill them. No wonder God gave them supernatural abilities to protect themselves against those who would want to harm them during those three and a half years as well. And when they're killed, the world believes that the bad days have finally come to an end. And uh, I mean, think of like the celebrations after maybe like a World War I or a World War II. That's, I mean, I believe that's similar to what is being taken place here. And they think that it's all over with. And um, the, the beast, he's the one who defeated them. So think about how they're going to revere the one who brought an end to these two men who in their minds tormented, all, tormented them all of these years. Have you ever stopped and wondered, like, how in the world would anybody let such a wicked individual lead them and gain so much power and so much prestige? And it's obvious here. Like, when you think that these two individuals have caused you all the harm that we've read about already thus far in the first half of tribulation, and this one individual shows up and he defeats them all, that's somebody that's going to be celebrated. That's somebody that people want to follow now. 
And, and those acts and the things leading up to this all culminate to bringing him to his rise to power as we enter into the last half that we know as the Great Tribulation. But we find also that, um, that they laid there in the streets. We knew that they were connected with the temple, as we already discussed as well. And according to Zechariah 4, they conduct their ministry outside the temple. And so the, during the first half of tribulation, the Lord uses them, as we would already discussed, possibly as a form of protection uh, for the nation of Israel and the temple specifically. Because a- after this point, after this halfway point, that uh, treaty that was made, that covenant that was made, that truce, it's broken. And uh, so God kind of uses these men to help uh, make sure that doesn't happen until his timing and his plan. And uh, that's why the narrative here in chapter 11, uh, the operation of the temple is associated with the ministry of these two men along the way. And so we see their persecution. But also, secondly, tonight, we see the Lord's praise as we move into verses 11 through 14. And after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, uh, and great fear fell upon them which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven, saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up to heaven in the cloud, and their enemies beheld them. In the same hour was there a great, uh, there, uh, was there a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell. And in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand. And the remnant were affrighted and uh, gave glory to the God of heaven. And the, the second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. So after three and a half days, the Lord resurrects their dead bodies. Uh, so they return to life and they stand right back up on their feet. I mean, could you imagine seeing that? All right, the Bible tells us here that everyone in the world rejoices over this. And uh, they, they know of the fact that they're dead, all right? But could you imagine being part of the group that all of a sudden there's a little twitch there, right? Maybe a, a pinky kind of twitches and, hey, did you see that? What are you talking about? It was two witnesses. One of them just moved. No, they didn't. They've been dead for three and a half days. You're crazy, man. I'm telling you. He blinked at me. <laughs> he gave me a wink. Like, you thought you got me. But I got you, you know, <laughs> and, and I, I just imagine it, maybe the, a, 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 a twitch of a muscle or something, but all of a sudden they open their eyes, they stand up to their feet, and the Bible says that everyone that sees it is afraid. I mean, they're, they're just completely losing their mind over what has taken place. Naturally, seeing two dead bodies resurrect back to life after three and a half days would scare anyone and strike fear into the hearts of anyone. Naturally, they probably assumed also on top of that, not only the fact that they're looking at two dead men now alive, but they're thinking, hey, their torment that we thought was over is probably coming back with a vengeance now. So that probably strikes even greater fear into their heart. But even more of the miracle of the, re- of the resurrection, uh, we find that God calls out and says, come up hither. And he brings them up into the heaven and, and uh, takes them out of this world. And as their enemies watch, they're taken out of, uh, of this world into heaven, into the resurrected bodies. And the message to the world is clear at this point. God approved of these men and what they did and everything they said. The fact that God works in their life in such a way is a stamp of approval... These are my men, and I'm behind them. 
And we see God's praise brought to these men uh, in the way he works in them. So pretty much you could say that the world's rejoicing was premature because they thought they had, you know, in the, in the flesh, in the world, they thought they had won. But of course, obviously, the Lord's still in control. In all, in all of these things that we've discussed so far through verse number 14, we now see how Zechariah's promise that the men would have a worldwide ministry could be true. Remember that as we studied last week? And we talked about the oils and the lamps and, and uh, the phrasing then there in those verses in Zechariah 4 about uh, how it would, they would have a worldwide ministry. That is to say, uh, it not, not in the same form or fashion like we would say that Billy Graham had a worldwide ministry. Obviously, he had a worldwide ministry. But I'm talking about a worldwide ministry in such a way that not one person on that w- that's still alive during this time is able to live without knowing about these men. Obviously, as big as Billy Graham is, there was people that didn't know who he was. As big as Jesus is, my friends, there's still people that don't know him today. Take the, let, let's, let that thought just sink in for a moment. But these men, their ministry impact will be so great that there will be not one person that is alive during this time that ha- will not be impacted in some way by it. And uh, their one, the worldwide impact uh, goes even further uh, because their bodies are viewed by the whole world, the Bible says. Now, many would speculate, and I've even alluded to this as well, that the increased advancements in technology in our world today is going to allow that. And uh, I believe that probably could be part of it, Um, and a very likelihood as well. However, as I was studying this week for this as well, the thought occurred to me as I was reading some different things and some different concepts and ideas about it, uh, it might be impossible for technology as we know it to even function in the way as we know it, given all of the events that have taken place up until this point. Could you imagine, I mean... Cell phone towers being disrupted because of the events that are taking place. Satellites falling from the sky because of the calamities and the fires. And I, I don't know that the technology that we know that, uh, that we have today is even going to be able to function. It's a possibility that that's part of how they see it. It's a possibility that that's not even, a, uh, even available at that time because of all that's gone on. But we do know this, that they are, their bodies will be seen worldwide. And so quite possibly... Um, the whole earth knows that uh, what they do because the whole earth will be reduced to what we would know to be a relatively small community compared to today because we've seen already thirds of the world being destroyed, thirds of the water being destroyed, and multitudes of multitudes of multitudes of people being having lost their life, and it's shrinking the world down as we know it to one singular location. Jerusalem and the Middle East and everything around it there. So it could be quite possibly that's why the whole world knows about it as well. But the impact is so widespread that everyone is talking about the same thing. You you know all the fads that go throughout our world today, like Facebook and Instagram and the news and and, uh, commercials and all those types of things make things popular and they have a time frame. How many of you jumped on the Wordle bandwagon? You know what I'm talking about, Wordle, the, the word game? Some of you had, all right. I played it for like three days and haven't played it in like three weeks. And so it kind of got big 
for like two weeks there, and then it kind of faded away. But like any fad comes and goes, this is going to be the fad of that day, if you may. And everybody's going to know about it. Everyone is going to be talking about it. We know that these men are connected to the midpoint of tribulation because we find in verse number 3 that it says that they'll prophesy for 1,203 score days. That's our clue that connects them, connects them to the midpoint of tribulation. But some have wondered, and I've already said that I believe it's the first half of tribulation, but some wondered, is it the first half or the second half in which they minister in? And so I want to share just a few quick things, I believe three things here, uh, as to why I believe the Bible would give us clues as to where it would be in the first half. First, notice this, that the timeline can't fit into the second half of tribulation. Because we know that the second half of tribulation ends with Jesus' second coming, exactly three and a half years at the, after the la that last half is, uh, is taking place. But we're told after three and a half years of service that they die and that they're left in the streets for three and a half days. Now, three and a half days isn't very long. We understand that. But it's three and a half days longer than God said that uh, before Jesus would come back and start his, his millennial reign. And so, nevertheless, uh, the timeline doesn't fit into it. Secondly, these men will be killed by the rise of the beast from the pit at the end of their ministry. And so if they, if they ministered at the last half of tribulation, the, and the Antichrist is right, taking his prominent rise to power at their death, and we know that tribulation's ended. That doesn't fit the timeline either. And finally, when we look at verse number 14, notice that what all these things have happened and their death has taken place. And verse number 14 says the second woe is past. The third is coming quickly, right? So there's still the, the third woe or that seventh trumpet judgment to come and all the seventh vile or bold judgments as well. So as we look at all these things and put those clues together, obviously these men have to have ministered in the first half of tribulation as well. Now tonight, uh, lastly, number three, notice the Lord's promise as well, though, in verses 15 through 19. And the seventh angel sounded... And there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world are become the kingdoms of, his, of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell upon their faces and worshiped God. And we'll stop there for the sake of time here tonight. But we find here that verse number 15, the seventh angel sounds. That's a reference to the seventh trumpet judgment, which, as we already said, will begin the seven bowl or vile judgments as well to end tribulation. At the sounding of the seventh trumpet, there are voices in heaven declaring that the world has become the kingdom of our Lord. Obviously, when Jesus returns at his second coming, he's going to set up his millennial reign, and it, this world is going to be his to rule and reign over for those thousand, thousand years. And in, in other words, then, the seventh trumpet leads to, leads to Christ's coming uh, and into the long-promised kingdom on earth. And with that proclamation, we read here that those elders, they fall on their faces and they begin to worship God for fulfilling His promise, doing exactly what He said He would do. He promised that He would come, He would set up a kingdom, and, and uh, this is coming to fruition now. 
Um, and then in verses 18 and 19, the elders begin to tell the story of the Lord's faithfulness to His promises, uh, retelling the events of tribulation. Look at verse number 18, that the nations were angry, and thy wrath has come, and the time of the dead, and they should be judged, and they should give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and the saints, of, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them, which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and there was seen in the temple uh, the ark of, the, of His testament. And so they are recapping all all of these things. And uh, the nations, they were enraged against God. And then God's wrath came, and, and the, which is a reference to the bold judgments that are going to unfold in the last three and a half years. And following that, the, the, the time of judgment, the, uh, there's the time of judgment of the dead and the, and the reward of the believers, the great white throne and the bema seat of judgment is what is being referenced there as well. And the temple in heaven was opened and the ark and he, the heavenly uh, temple appears along uh, with a great mighty natural powers as well, and we see those judgments and things that were discussed as well. The overall scene as we close here tonight of chapter number 11 serves as a foreshadowing of where the story is going, but we're not there yet, right? See, we see it's closing the events of the first half of tribulation as it's saying, hey, we've reached the midpoint with the references of the three and a half years. It's closing it with the ministry of the two witnesses coming to a close, and it's opening the last half with the announcement of, hey, there's been uh, the three wo or two woes have finished, but the last one's here to come. The seventh trumpet is going to sound, right? And so it's transitioning us. So chapter 11 gives us some of those events that transition us from the first half unto the second half. And in fact, we'll see this preview come a, a time again as we go along through these next few chapters through chapter number 15. But the bold judgments or the vile judgments are coming without a doubt in this last three and a half years. And when they come, they'll be followed quickly with the Lord's return and His kingdom will be set up. And that's where we're going to end up as we continue to progress through our, our studies here on Wednesday nights. Uh, but we will approach that even sooner as we get there next time. So let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you for this evening and your goodness and your love for us. I ask that you just take what we have learned tonight and help us to uh, glorify you for your goodness. The fact that, uh, that uh, you keep your promises and, and that you're there for those that uh, serve you and you, uh, you are there to protect and, and to, uh, to just... Uh, uh, to bring to fruition your will and your way. And Lord, I ask now that you'd hear our request now tonight as we bring these requests to you and our petitions before you here tonight, Lord. Answer them according to your will and your way. And we do pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.